0: EM Board Bombs. Now, here's Doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast. My name is Blake Briggs. This is where board studying continues to be fun and enjoyable. You can have some high-yield board knowledge, as you like to say, come for the stems, but stay for the content. You know where to go neonboardbombs.com. I'd say that a lot slower. I feel like I've been really saying that fast, both in person and uh, on the podcast. I'm a fast talker in general, but too fast. Anyway, you can go to our website. You get free updates. You get episodes. Sign up on our email list. You get printed handouts. You get free review quizzes. What more do you want? Oh, an airway module? Sure. We'll make that for you. (laughs) The airway module is awesome. We've had over, gosh, over 900 people view it now. It's incredible. Please take the pre- and post-quiz. It is such an awesome learning opportunity. We've been plugging it hardcore just because it is so cool and so unique. Feel free to look at it for all your airway knowledge. And remember, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Borbombs. Dr. Iltifat Hussein will not be joining us today. He's actually doing his recording session of his new album, quote, Sounds of the ED, quote. Yes, you heard me right. He's actually in a band called the Myoclonic Jerks. Some hit songs that will be hitting iTunes soon, they include Dispo Inferno, They Put Me in the K-Hole, and it's going to be platinum hit this year, I can already tell you. It's the drug that begins with a D. All right, let's get to it. we got a 15-year-old male presenting to the ED after puncturing his foot at the beach a few days ago. He was actually snorkeling in the shallow coral reef when he felt something brush up against him. He states when he came to the ED that he actually has seen the B-movie Megalodon, as well as another B-minus, maybe C-movie, Megashark vs. Crocosaurus. So he quickly started using his underwater karate he learned from YouTube to hopefully fend off whatever attacker he had in the water. It turned out it's just a school of uh, minnows, but when you asked how deep the water was, he states he could stand in it, and he cut himself on some large clam when he was moving his leg. The injury took place a few days ago, so he's coming in now with a red, swollen, tender-to-touch leg. An open wound that is... Uh, Puncture esque, is present on the side of his right leg. No drainage is present. So, which of the following should be included in his antibiotic regimen? Choice A: ceftriaxone. Choice B: Metronidazole. Choice C: Doxycycline. Choice D: trimethopim, sulfamethoxazole Also hold back from. Correct answer is. C, Dotsy Cycling for the Win. You should have known that was gonna be the answer, right? You're listening to an EM Board Bombs podcast. Dotsy Cycling is always the right answer. Sort of true, just kidding. Hey, so shout out to Eric Black. He's a physician assistant in Connecticut. Um, really appreciate his suggestion for this topic. We are just getting to it now, Eric. You can see how far behind we are (laughs) with the amount of topics we have to do. So thank you for submitting your Request. We appreciate all the hard work you do, Eric. Thank you again for the question suggestion. This is a board bomb um, in terms of things that come up on the test. So let's just knock it out. So puncture wounds in general, wide range of injuries. I would say the two type of scenarios that are going to come up the most on board test questions are going to be plantar surface puncture wounds by far most common, absolutely high yield, and the second most common would likely be marine life of some type. So in general. Puncture wounds are any pointed object, right? It's uncertain how common infections actually are. They're probably pretty common. Um, The problem is that no one really comes, like, you know, the day they get punctured. (laughs) If it's not a life-threatening injury, and we're going to stay away from the, obviously, the leveled trauma aspect of puncture wounds, which would defeat the whole purpose of this talk, right? So leveled trauma would mean it would be a penetrating trauma, and we'll get a full trauma code workup, blah, 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 trauma surgeon evaluation, potentially, yada, yada, yada. That's like a GSW or stab wound. That's completely different uh, because these people, you know, they step on something or they cut themselves on something and they wait about four to seven days until it looks bad or may get infected or there is a foreign body reaction of some type and they start feeling more pain. So the location, and the depth of the wound, they greatly matter in how severe an infection is, obviously, right? It also matters on if there is a retained foreign body and what type of foreign body there is, right? So if you have an injury with organic or vegetative material, that's a much greater risk than, you know, a tiny... Metal shard from a metal shaving, if you're welding, right? In terms of global systemic risk factors, you guessed it. As usual, diabetes is the most common and most severe risk for wound infections. Osteomyelitis is much more common in this group of patients. So, who we are going to talk about in terms of bugs? There's really only three you have to think are the most common here. Staph aureus makes an appearance again. Welcome back. Welcome back, staff. Thank you for joining us. Ta-da! And beta hemolytic strep, uh, of course. Gas, as we call it. Group A strep. And those two are the most common. Skin and, you know, skin floor, of course, you'd guess it. And then good old Pseudomonas makes an appearance. So Pseudomonas is classic in those suffering the plantar puncture wound while wearing tennis shoes. With the moist inner sole. I've never understood this. <laughs> I, yes, I know that this is like a medical fact. Like you just have to like know this for the boards and it's like root memorization in med school they bang this in your brain uh but really does pseudomonas like really live on the soles in the rubber moist interior of every tennis shoe really um yeah i'm gonna totally call that's a bunch of bs but (laughs) unfortunately we have just inundated ourselves in the medical education system with just memorizing this cause and effect uh tennis shoe puncture wound pathognomonic with pseudomonas which is completely untrue we'll get to it though if you have a puncture wound in the water, you need to worry about other types of bugs like aerobic species. This is like Vibrio, Aromonas, and then even Mycobacterium marinum. Mycobacterium marinum is mostly found in fish tanks. That's the classic reached your hand and scratched your hand on something in a fish tank. The the others though can be found anywhere, especially in salt water. Aeromonas is more in freshwater. So as you guessed, there's a wide range of infection presentation with delayed puncture wound infections you could have just cellulitis which is by far the most common probably followed by an abscess. Another concern is if, if it's over a joint uh, like the knee or uh, most common the ankle or knee you have septic arthritis. Um, osteomyelitis is a concern especially in the foot due to the decreased vascular supply there compared to the upper body and considering that there's a lot of plantar injuries. Tinnocinofitis especially in the hand and rarely very rarely necrotizing fasciitis. You can check out our podcast that covers these type of things more in detail. Uh, episode 39, Bark for Dog Dogmentin, <laughs> covers dog bites and any type of cat bites, things like that, human bites, and we talk about the antibiotics for that. I really encourage you to listen to that podcast. We're not going to cover any more about bites here. And then tenosynovitis. This is a blast from the past. That was our fourth episode ever. Disregard how crappy the audio is on that one, but in general, tenosynovitis. that was episode 4. Check out that episode for more details on diagnosing tennis. So in general, when you're working up patients that have puncture wounds or concern for a puncture wound infection, you want to get the description of the object, right? We want to see if it's organic or not. We want to know the location of where this happened. Was it in water? Was it fresh or salt water? Was it on dry land? We want to know the depth potentially. This is really hard for some patients, but in general, like how big was the object? If they did pull it out, like how much was in there, that sort of thing or how much is not there still. There's concern that there's a retention of that foreign body. And then we need to obviously ask the, if there's footwear, if there was a plantar puncture wound. We need to know the time since the injury and the tetanus history. The exam, obviously we want to check if the patient is neurovascular intact, and that of course would involve sensation, motor, pulses, and really just feeling for any obvious deformities in the area. So here's the thing about labs. Here's my soapbox speech again. Labs don't help unless there is a concern for deep space infection. So like if you're worried about septic arthritis, osteomyelitis, or neck fash, sure get the labs. Really, that last one, neck fash, that's a clinical diagnosis. I know the labs can maybe, like, eh, sway some things, but in general, if you're worried about neck fash, you're worried about neck fash. If you walk in a room and you think, oh, my God, that could be neck fash, I don't think you're going to walk out of the room and say, well, let's just order some labs to be sure and we can send them home. I don't think anyone's going to do that. But in general, septic arthritis and osteo can be difficult. In the labs, you know, there's criteria out there. We weren't going to get into this. Uh, you know, there's criteria using the labs to help exclude septic arthritis and osteomyelitis. And those would be a CBC, CRP, and ESR, and you'll get an x-ray, blah, blah, blah. But these tests haven't really been shown alone to predict outcomes of reliably rule out infection. So if you're getting a white count for a puncture wound and saying, I'll oh, just check a white count to see if they're infected, then you need to reevaluate your life goals. <laughs> you need to reevaluate. Uh, <laughs> that was a little harsh. Uh, Iltefot's not here to rein me in. you need to reevaluate probably how you're working up your wound infections. But in general, if you're worried about deep space infections, yeah, labs are going to be needed. Speaking of more helpful things, x-rays, those are going to be very helpful for deep space infections if you're overlying a joint space, right? Or there's concern for a retained foreign body. Now, of course, x-rays are going to show radio opaque foreign bodies, not so much radiolucent. Very rarely they can show some foreign bodies that may not be radio opaque. you know, like not metal, but they could be wood with high density in it or other materials. X-rays are best to get when, number one, there's evidence of infection with no prior imaging. Number two, you're worried about a foreign body, of course. And number three, patients that have worsening infection despite local wound care and antibiotics, you should get repeat imaging as well. Here's an interesting fact for you. Uh, Up to 87% of glass can be seen on x-rays, so that's awesome. And if you're worried about a patient stepping on some glass, cue the diehard scene, which is also my favorite Christmas movie. Prove me wrong. In general, if you have glass concern, x-rays are perfect for that. They're really good. Ultrasound can also help, too, in some cases, especially for those radiolucent foreign bodies. Got to be a little more experienced to use that, though. Wound cultures should not be routinely acquired from a wound unless there's some unusual circumstances. So unusual as in like not common things, right? If they are in the water, uh, salt or fresh water, and it looks nasty, or if there's organic matter present, or if you know from a fact you're looking at that wound and it just looks contaminated the moment it came in the door, sure, get a wound culture. But if they're coming less than 24 or 48 hours after a puncture wound and the wound doesn't look infected, I would debate getting a wound culture. And we'll get to kind of how we manage these in a minute here in terms of antibiotics or no antibiotics. Um, But in general, you're going to start with aggressive washing, like soap and water if you can. If it's contaminated, clearly soap and water is fine, but you may want to even get antiseptic solution like chlorhexidine or iodine or betadine. If it's not contaminated and just a puncture wound and you've removed everything and cleaned the wound, soap and water is just fine. You're going to remove any foreign bodies that are present as best you can. So you're going to have to numb the patient up typically with local lidocaine or lidocaine with epi. Debreeding dead tissue is really important. One, for the integrity of the wound to heal again, but two, dead tissue is a nidus for infection. You're also going to drain any fluid pockets. Obviously, if you see an abscess, treat the abscess. And if you see any signs of infection, uh, then you're going to give antibiotics, of course, right? And this usually happens days after the patient's present, as we talked about, four to seven days later. When you're washing the patient... There's often a debate on moderate pressure or high pressure, you know, irrigation or low pressure. You know, there was a, this anecdotal concern of, oh, if you do high pressure, you could squirt the bacteria deep into the wound. And no one really knows the answer to this at all. Uh, so in general, moderate pressure is fine, whatever that means. No one ever gives an exact percent. I wouldn't stick the syringe all the way in the puncture wound and just squirt as hard as you can. Because, yeah, that's defeating the purpose and you're shooting things down into different tissue planes. I wouldn't advise that. Of course, we're not going to suture any puncture wounds. Uh, that's a general no no and uh, not a good idea. You want these to heal by secondary intention. We're only going to remove foreign bodies that are a nitis or infection. They're close to the surface that we as emergency doctors are, can can reach in there and grab them really fast. And uh, if they're too deep, then we're going to call a specialist to handle it. In general, it's really controversial, and this is not going to be on your boards, but antibiotic prophylaxis is extremely controversial. You know, there's talk should you give antibiotics for just perphylaxis, right? They come in, they say, hey, I had a puncture wound. And it's less than 24 hours. They have no sign of any infection. They look fine. There's no foreign body concern. You've done your workup. I wouldn't advise antibiotics for that. And that's from personal experience. That's from people being, you know, have to be conservative, I think, with antibiotics more. I think we waste them too much. If there's clear sign of infection, then you're going to treat the antibiotics. The test question is only going to ask you questions on when to treat the antibiotics if there's concern for infection. They're never going to say the patient looks perfect. Do you want to give antibiotics? That's controversial, and that depends on your practice. Let's go through the route of, yes, there is an infection, or there's a concern for infection. Obviously, you're going to be giving ciprofloxacin, which is the only real, really good oral agent for pseudomonas. So levofloxacin and moxifloxacin, both of those are good for pseudomonas, not as good as cipro. Uh, There are increasing resistance rates of cipro, which sucks, because that's really the only oral agent out there that's really good for pseudomonas. And uh, that's what you're going to cover, in particularly the case of the classic tennis shoe, moist inner sole of the tennis shoe because Pseudomonas apparently loves tennis shoes. It just has a love affair with rubber. <laughs> it's so stupid. But in general, you're going to give Ciprofloxin on the test question for any concern for a puncture wound to the inner surface of a tennis shoe. That's what they're asking. That's what you're going to put, Pseudomonas coverage. If you're worried about staph, so let's say the patient was walking barefoot and stepped on something, and it's methicillin-susceptible, MSSA, you're going to have Keflex, which is Cephalexin. Cephalexin's a great broad coverage, staph and strep coverage. You might need to think about Bactrim clindamycin, or doxycycline if you're thinking about either MRSA or more resistant skin flora. Again, this is for general dry land, puncture wound, antibiotic empiric treatment of concern for infection. Here's where we get really complicated here, and you only have to know like one or two things from this aspect. Fresh water exposure. You can give Keflex, sounds easy enough, cephalexin, or you can give clinda plus a fluoroquinolone, If you have any seawater exposure, you have to give the drugs I just mentioned plus (laughs) doxycycline. And that's the answer to this test question. So none of the other answer choices would cover Vibrio um, in the answer choices above. The ceftriaxone would not, the metronidazole would not, and the Bactrim would not. Doxycycline is the only one that would. Now, do other drugs cover Vibrio? Yeah, of course. Uh, Clindamycin does, azithromycin does, but those weren't options. Doxy was the only one. In general, what you should take away from this is that doxy treats everything. I'm just kidding. What you take away from this is that doxy is very good uh, for zoonotic Uh, infections or those strange, weird marine or um, wildlife infections, tick bites, right? Rocky Mountain spotted fever, Lyme disease, ehrlichiosis, and apparently Vibrio. If you have any soil or sewage wound concern, metronidazole or clindamycin is good. And that makes sense, right? Because that's going to cover anaerobes. That's what you're worried about with sewage. Okay. Let's wrap this up. I think that about covers everything. So puncture wounds present at different presentations. Make sure to always look at the location, the depth, concerns for retained foreign bodies. Remember that your skin floor are going to be the most common causes. Pseudomonas is somehow having that love affair with the moist inner tennis shoe. Moist is an awful word, by the way. Um, Even saying it makes my skin crawl. So pseudomonas is going to be that moist inner sole of the tennis shoe or type of closed-toed shoe. Remember that puncture wounds in the water, we worry about aerobic species like Vibrio, Aeromonas, in freshwater, and Mycobacterium. Remember that you have a wide range of infection presentations. Some require labs, some require x-rays, others don't. Remember that ultrasound can also be helpful. Wound cultures are not always needed for routine infections or wounds that don't even look infected. You're going to aggressively wash them, you're going to try to remove superficial foreign bodies or foreign bodies that are associated with an infection. You're not going to suture these ever. You're not going to give straight up antibiotic prophylaxis just for funsies you're going to be giving antibiotic prophylaxis or empiric therapy if you're concerned about an actual infection right so ciprofloxacin for pseudomonas cephalexin for good old MSSA or strep you might need Bactrim might need Clinda or Doxy for MRSA you might need Doxycycline for seawater exposure concerned for Vibrio like in our question freshwater exposure you're going to either be giving cephalexin or Clinda plus the fluoroquinolone and then any soil or sewage wounds you're giving metronidazole or clindamycin. All right, I think that's all we got. Remember, you can subscribe online at iamborebombs.com, or we're on Twitter and Instagram, drop us an app overview, please. For more topic suggestions, thanks again to Eric Black. Keep up the excellent work up there, buddy, up in the Northeast. Thanks again for your suggestion for this topic, and we will see you next time. Hopefully Ultapot will be back. We'll see you.